You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. There's a new book I think every person should be reading right now, and I, I would say read it even more than once because there's so much content in this book. Plus, if you're really interested in like scientific references, there's pages and pages of it. It's amazing. This book is called Body on Fire, How Inflammation Triggers Chronic Illness and the Tools We Have to Fight It by Dr. Monica Agarwal and Dr. Jyothi Rao. You will learn how sleep, stress, exercise, diet, nutrition, mindset, even yoga, and many other lifestyle choices will affect your overall health and well-being. And ultimately, it impacts the level of inflammation in your body, the precursor to all modern disease. Now, what's also great about Body on Fire is that the authors teach you how to utilize the tools that they provide to help you improve your lifestyle habits. It's very exciting to have one of the co-authors here on Wellness for Life, Dr. Jyothi Rao. She's the founder of Shakti Health and Wellness Center and RaoWellness.com. Welcome, Dr. Jyothi. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. So I'd really like to know what you, what inspired you to write this book, you and the co-author, Dr. Monica. What inspired both of you to collaborate and share your journeys and possibly health discoveries to write this book? So part of the journey has been, um, I guess, the regular frustration with the lack of tools that we learn in medical school. Uh, you know, I did med- I completed medical school in about 23 years ago and kind of went through a pretty strenuous residency program. At the end, I thought, you know, I'm really ready to go and tackle illness and all of that. But then when I came out, I just kind of had a few tools, which were prescriptions and referrals and maybe referring people to surgery. So it was very frustrating for myself in terms of we didn't really see people healing. We just saw people getting band-aided. And so um, I started doing acupuncture and I started kind of on a path of healing in terms of just, you know, doing things to the body that allow more than one aspect to heal, unlike a drug, which just goes in one direction and fixes on one thing and sometimes causes secondary side effects. So my journey through medicine in about about 2000, I started acupuncture. And then a few years later, um, a patient of mine asked me, uh, came in a young man who had hypertension. He had his wife came in with me and said, you know, um, we really want to get him off some of these blood pressure medicines. They were young. They were in their 30s, had started a, a family. And he, she said, I don't want my husband on medicine. Can you teach me what I can do with my food to help help me overcome this blood pressure issue? And honestly, I didn't have an answer for them at the time. I didn't know anything but just decrease salt. And they said, well, if you don't use salt, what else can you use? And I was, I had no, nothing to offer them. So it started me on a journey to try to find ways to help people, looked into spices, looked into foods. And I just stumbled on, you know, um, through all my training, just stumbled on the role of nutrients and the role of food and elimination diets and, and plant-based diets and just lifestyle in general, which we was really under-focused in medicine, medical school. So part of it was, was my patients' questions and frustrations about being on medications. Also, um, you know, just the fact that as a physician, we want to heal. We don't want a Band-Aid. And so all the tools that we found in the book were really, when you delve into the literature, there's so much research out there on all of these interventions that are much better than any medication I can give for internal medicine purposes. So 
I, it was really a journey, a labor of love, if you will, for my patients in terms of trying to find ways to help and just feel satisfied in my career choices of trying to, you know, be a physician. So uh, it's taken a while. I'm continuously learning. But so far, we, we addended the first, uh, this is kind of a new addition to the, our first book, but we added things like optimism and fasting because as we go through this journey, Dr. Agarwal and I are continuously learning and finding new ways to you know, help our patients heal as well as ourselves. So everything that we talk about in the book, we've all, both of us have done ourselves and both of us have been kind of blown away at how impactful it is, if you will, for health. Mm. You know, I interview a lot of medical doctors, doctors that have gone the conventional route, just as you have, and they found that it just wasn't enough to be able to support and be a healer, really, truly support their patient and their patient for for long, long lives, long time. What I mean is like, you know, we all want to practice where we grow ourselves with the, the person. And as they age, you're going to you're going to also support them too. And, and um, what I'm, I've always saw, thought about is like, what is it that if a lot of, of medical doctors are also um, searching outside, why is it that they're not supporting, at least in the medical schools, why are they not still supporting integrative medicine or nutritional counseling as part of the curriculum? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great question. It's one that we've been asking too. I think, you know, and honestly, with the studies, a lot of things are, unfortunately run by pharmaceutical companies in terms of the research, the evidence-based quote-unquote, if you will. I mean, they're not, it's hard to get, Dr. Agarwal is really trying to find funding to do, um, you know, studies in nutrition and studies in cardiovascular health with nutrition, and it's challenging. It's really hard to get enough money to show through research. I mean, it's out there, but it's very challenging to get uh, data out there that really supports lifestyle as a choice. So, First of all, it's kind of like our, our our education in medical school was, you know, diet and exercise. It'll make you feel better. You know, what does that even mean, right? So it's so individual for people. I didn't know what it meant either for, for maybe another decade. But uh, I think the problem is research and funding and also quick fixes. We have 10 minutes a patient, right? So in terms of a regular medical practice, it's so hard to talk about lifestyle, unfortunately, um, about, you know, constantly talking about someone's high blood pressure or high sugar when you haven't even addressed their sleep issue, when you haven't even addressed their stress issue, when you haven't talked about the foods that they're eating at 12 o'clock at night because they're so stressed out they can't sleep. It, it, we just band-aid it with meds because it's it's easier to do that in 10 minutes than to have a discussion about, hey, tell me why you're so stressed out. Why can't you fall asleep? Why are you filling your pantry with these foods that are just really toxic to your body? And so those discussions take a long time and we need a whole team of people on the same page. And that's what we have found through our careers that we are, we've, we've changed jobs so that we can find places that support that treatment pet protocols. But it's it's not easy. The standard standard practice will only allocate so much time, right? So it's, it's, these are all not great excuses, but part of it is the problem of the Band-Aid approach. Oh, if it's not broken, we don't need to fix it. Um, but most people walking around, you know, even with me, my journey has been always to try to not be tired. I want to do all this in a day. Why am I so tired? And so these, these tools that we talk about in Body on Fire really limit inflammation in the body. Inflammation is what is really the root of so much 
badness for us. And that badness for me could look like I'm just really tired or I'm sad. And in other people, it could look like joint pain. It could look like rashes. And so that's why instead of giving people a label of this is your diagnosis of diabetes times two, we talk about you are inflamed and how do you get rid of the inflammation? And so that concept was very new to us in terms of trying to do broad strokes of intervention, say like meditation or yoga, which helps with muscle mass, helps with sugar control, helps lower your blood pressure. So many different things with one intervention as opposed to like, here's a pill for your sugar, here's a pill for your blood pressure, here's another pill that will combat the side effect that I'm giving you for your blood pressure medicine. It goes on and on, right? So this is much more satisfying, but we need time as physicians to be able to talk to people about the value and how much control people have. That is the one thing I want people to get out of it is you are in control of your health. You do, you're not set up because of your genes. You have so much control. Dr. Agarwal has has come out of rheumatoid arthritis, which is a very debilitating disease, which she talks about her journey through the book. And I, I just applaud her because she refused to let her Hopkins doctors tell her that she's going to be crippled and in a wheelchair and sorry, there's nothing else we can do except give you this medicine. Um, so she went on her own journey, her, and so it was fueled by her desire to be whole again. And my, you know, so it's it's a it's driven by this passion of we know there's more out there. There's got to be more that we all can do as individuals. Um, we are not destined for this type of life just because it's in our genes. So um, I think that has been the biggest biggest um, kind of pro, uh, what we are driving for is just to get out there and scream it from the rooftops that everybody's in charge. Like you have all this control of your health. Mm, I, I mean, I think both of you are advocates for health and wellness and and just want people to live well. And one of the things that yes. um, you talk about is that it's very helpful to reduce your inflammation by switching your diet. And the diet you actually recommend that people um, embrace is the plant-based, you know, in, increasing more plant-based foods. Why is that? Why is that so important in reducing inflammation? So. We know that a lot of the longevity diets that look out there, a lot of of illness in general is from significant nutrient deficiencies. And, you know, we have a very high amount of nutrient, poor foods, calorie-rich foods out there. That's the standard American diet, which is highly processed, lots of refined sugar, very low nutrients in there. So if we have nutrient deficiencies as a core, we need to have high nutrient foods coming in. And plants have that as a whole. Unadulterated plants have tons of vitamins and nutrients and trace minerals and things like antioxidants, which fight against the stress on our bodies from pollution, from toxins, from medication side effects. So we need antioxidant foods that are loaded in very few calories, but also have a very high fiber. Fiber is what drives our gut microbiome. So our our gut bugs give us these genes. So we have 23,000 genes as humans, and our gut bugs give us 3 million genes. So we are literally 10% of our of our, our gut bugs. So if our gut bugs are not happy, we're not happy as, as humans because our gut bugs make our hormones they make our transmitters that communicate to our brain, they digest our foods, they make our vitamins, they, they do so much for us. So we have to support those gut bugs, keep them happy, get the good colonies, get diversity, and that is through fiber. Fiber is the key for that. And where is fiber found? Mostly in plant-based foods. So we want to be able to be very high in, in, in our plates when we're looking at our plates, maybe half of it to be 
something of a vegetable or a fruit or and then have whole grains, you know. So plant-based foods have been shown in many studies over and over again to support the reduction of a lot of the illnesses that are out there, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, um, you know, so many illnesses, uh, prevention of cancer, so many illnesses that are part of the top 10 reasons that people die in America have been supported and worldwide actually that have been supported by eating more of a plant-forward, plant-based diet because of all those nutrients that are in these foods. Mm, thank you. I, I'm right there with you, doctor. I know that, I mean, I've written the book, The, the Kimchi Diet, and kimchi is, is of course, it's plant-based, uh, mainly vegetables, but fermented vegetables to support your gut microbiome, improving the diversity of the microbiome and helping you manage, in fact, um, any forms of imbalances that you might have in the gut microbiome. There is right now a movement of the carnivore diet. And it's something that, at least for me, I, I'm not uh, crazy about it because carnivore diet means that you just eat basically meat, protein, uh, and um, animal protein fats, and really eliminate the fiber. Uh, it's really interesting how big that movement is, though. Uh, what's going on there? I think, I think the confusion sometimes is that weight is sometimes associated with health. And what happens when people go on um, keto diets or these type of diets that are high in animal products and animal fats is they let go of some of the toxic kind of carbohydrate foods that are out there, the processed uh, you know, grains and the refined sugars and sugar itself. And so those are all very inflammatory by itself. So what happens is people start to see, you know, when you get rid of that stuff, you start to see inflammation go down in some aspects. And so people start losing weight. And when you lose weight, you think you're getting better. You think you're healing. But that's not necessarily true because you can increase your markers of inflammation in your body if you measure them. You can increase your lipid profiles, which we know are hazardous to cardiovascular health. So I think the equation is that they're getting rid of the garbage carbohydrate foods, which, which we shouldn't be eating anyway. And they're, they're thinking that um, increasing these proteins and these things that make them feel full, that they're taking in healthier options, but they're not. And they're, they're actually, you know, doing better for their caloric intake, which they're not because fats have a lot of calories. And so they're taking in more saturated fats, which is extremely um, inflammatory. And the protein tends to be, you know, animal protein can be very inflammatory for the GI system as well and change our gut microbiome in, a, in an adverse way. But the biggest thing, like you said, is that the fiber is missing. And when the fiber is missing, our diversity is gone. And when diversity is gone, health suffers. So the basic tenets of health, if you say, is create diversity, those diets are notoriously bad for you because of the fact that they just, just negate all those health aspects and healing aspects of you know, fiber. So I, I, think, I think people are driven because they're starting to, quote unquote, lose weight. But I don't think it's sustainable, number one. Number two, if they watch their lipids and their inflammatory markers, I think they're going to start to see new problems emerge. And I do think that um, those kind of food plans are just, you know, very, very um, dangerous for you in the long term. Mm, I love and I, I totally, you know, agree with you there. I was just read, watching um, a Netflix during this COVID, uh, a Netflix film called Kiss the Ground. It's a do documentary. Have you seen that at all? Do you know about it? The Kiss Which the Ground? Kiss the Ground. No. It's basically about no. how um, the erosion of our soil due to over farming, over tilling of our land is devastating our ability to grow healthy uh, plants on our on our land. And 
millions and millions of acres all over around the world are losing our the ability to grow plants and grow food. And that's because the microbiome is stripped. And I'm, I look at that in such a way of like, that's going on in our gut. The macro, the, you know, our planet is macroscopically is going, same thing is happening on microscopically in our gut, that we're losing yes. our diversity. We're losing absolutely. the soil in our gut, right? Yes, absolutely. So two things I wanted to say about that was, you know, there are, um, so the foods that we are eating, the same apple, the same same spinach, the same, you know, same foods that we were, you know, our grandparents were eating, we are much more low in nutrients now than they have ever been. So we have to eat a lot more servings of these foods because the actual nutrient intake from the same type of food that was there 100 years ago because the soil has changed is really making us need to eat more of them in order to maintain the same nutrient status. So that's one thing is that we want to push for eight to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And so that's because the soil may be changing, but also because we just have lower nutrients. You know, there's areas of the country that are very low in selenium and they're seeing so much more thyroid disease because selenium is critical for thyroid issues. And so just like that, you're seeing trends all over that are caused by the fact that our nutrients are lower in our foods. And so our intake of our nutrients are, are affecting our overall you know, health patterns. Secondly, I think that, you know, the diversity issue is so real. The same thing goes for um, the thought was that, you know, generations, maybe two generations before we've had maybe say 1500 major organisms in our gut. And now each generation we have, you know, 200 to 300 um, diverse organisms less, which means each generation we're passing on to our children a different microbiome, basically, which incurs different types of disease patterns. Now, it's curious to me, you know, there's certain diseases and illnesses out there now that 20, 30 years ago, we didn't see much of, for example, you know, peanut allergies, right? So peanut allergies, when I was in school, there wasn't really much of it. Um, there wasn't really much, there wasn't like a table full of kids that had peanut allergies, which now it's emerging pretty commonplace in any school system, in any place around the country. Same thing to do with things like autism. You know, there are illnesses that are growing exponentially, and you have to think that it is a consequence of something environmental, but also maybe something that's happening within our, our gut microbiome, um, maybe because of generations that have been changing, and that could be due to the quality of our foods, the lack of diversity, that the fact that we don't cook at home anymore. You know, we're eating out a lot. There's a lot of packaged stuff out there that's easy to grab and go. So these are the things that I want, you know, we want to tell people and just like you want to tell people is please make these choices. These choices are in your control. And so it's not a hundred percent that we, if we live this way, we will never get sick and our children will never get sick, but it's, it's the best that we can do to prevent it. Right. So I do think that over the last few generations that, that illness patterns have changed in this country. And I think some of that is the reason why. Mm, thank you. You know, as as men and women, as we get older into our 30s, 40s, I should say more like 40s and 50s, uh, why do inflammatory markers go up? Why is it that they, they end up having more and more inflammation? Does it have to do with the hormones and the change that they're going through? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. Um, chronic illness by itself is going up um, in the U.S. And I think it's part of it is the lifestyle. A part of it is our stress patterns. One of the things I think that happens in the 40s or 50s is people, men and women, are struggling with, you know, their jobs, the kids, 
Um, so much more financial issues now that with, with coronavirus, for example. But yes, our hormones absolutely change and contribute tremendously to our, um, our, our wellness. So my triad for happy body is really a combination of happy gut, nutrient balance and hormone balance. And when one or two of those, or even all three of them are off, you're going to start to see illness emerge. And I think that most people in their forties or fifties, they're on a, you know, hamster wheel. Well, they're just running to get things done. They're really not focused on themselves. They're taking care of parents. They're taking care of kids. They're taking care of, you know, the house and, and struggling with, you know, work life balance. Stress levels are exceptionally high. And at the same time, after 40, all your hormones, including growth hormone, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, your sex hormones, they're all going down. The only few hormones that may go up when you start to age is insulin, which is part of that insulin resistance diabetes, and cortisol, which is our stress hormone. And in the book, we talk about how, you know, when you're on sympathetic overdrive, this is your fight or flight. When you feel stressed, you raise your cortisol, you raise your adrenaline, you raise your blood pressure, you raise your heart rate, and that starts to begin a cascade where you're coming into sympathetic overdrive that's unchecked and can lead to multiple health problems. And so you gain weight, you start to have maybe more immune issues, you can't recover from illnesses fast, your sugars levels go up, your lipid levels go up, your blood pressure starts to go up, and this is all fueled by this unchecked sympathetic overdrive. So first and foremost, I think, that if we can, as adults, realize that it is, it is a priority for us to maintain lifestyle, to do some of the things we talk in the book on a regular basis, focus on what our choices are, what we're putting in our mouth is, try to sleep adequately, try to get some exercise, try to do some mind-body. You know, there's a lot that I'm saying, but I think we have to start somewhere. I think the 40s and 50-year-olds start to lose focus on themselves and start to devote their energy on everybody else, and that's part of the problem. And their stress levels are so high, mm. and their cortisol is so high, and their growth hormones and all these other hormones that are helping us you know, stay youthful fall um, plummet. I've had a lot of people at 40 say, oh, my God, I feel like I got hit by a truck. And I think your antioxidant-level glutathione plummets, your growth hormone plummets, your even your thymus gland by the time you're 30 starts to be so, you know, so under less active than when you were first born. So your immune system starts to change. It's a combination of all of those things that's exemplified and accentuated by our stress levels that I think is the, is why people in their 40s and 50s become unhealthy. Thank you. You know, uh, people, um, a lot of people don't realize that cortisol, it is a hormone that we need. We all need cortisol to be able to have Absolutely. good energy level, but... If you have too much, which is what goes on when you're under a great deal of stress and anxiety, it, you, you actually block the insulin receptors. It's, that's the in interesting thing about cortisol. It blocks the insulin receptors to accept the glucose. So that's why the glucose is higher in the bloodstream, which then puts you in a position where uh, we all can become diabetic. Pre-diabetic is very, very high in, in our country and in growing across uh, the world is that we are really suffering from insulin and sensitivity and cortisol could be one of the biggest pushers there. Well, one of the other big things is cortisol is the quarterback for all the hormones. So if your cortisol is, is really high and your body, you're telling your body, I am running from a tiger, whether that's, you know, I got to get my kid to soccer practice. I got to put food on the table. I got to get this email out. Whatever you're saying, you're, you're telling your body, I'm running from a tiger. That cortisol stops producing your anabolic hormones, which build you, which build your bones and your muscles and your, keeps your mental state 
adequate and it shunts it to, um, you know, more cortisol, which then can affect your brain, like your hippocampus, your memory centers. It can start to affect the way that your fat starts to distribute in your body. So it promotes fat right in the midsection. It starts to say, hey, I don't need to worry about reproduction and hormones because I'm running from a tiger right now. It starts to affect your sex hormones, your energy, your libido, your cognitive performance. So cortisol by itself, unchecked, like you said, it's very important. We need it. It's not the bad guy. But unchecked cortisol is the problem, which is why in the book we talk about the parasympathetic system, which is the rest and digest system. That's really what the entire book is about. It's about how do I support my rest and digest system? And so all of the things that we talk about in the book really, is, in spite of the life that you lead, you can start to reinforce that check system that keeps that cortisol more in balance by doing things that help your gut, by doing things that help you rest restoratively, helping that mind-body connection, and you know so many things that help the gut microbiome. So yeah, we can live these lives that we've chosen to live, but we have to charge our battery. And that's really what we have to do as lifestyle. We need to recharge our batteries, and that's an everyday practice, just like we charge our phones. Thank in. you. Great. You know, I've got one more one more question before we go, because we've got only a couple more minutes. I, I'm a big believer in movement therapy, moving, um, you know, moving as every day, day to day movement, as well as exercise. How does exercise and movement reduce your inflammation? Oh, so exercise is so wonderful because it, you know, first of all, it changes our neurotransmitters in our body. So it raises our dopamine, raises our norepinephrine, raises our serotonin, which gives us more mental energy. I don't know if anyone probably listening knows, for me, I was always confused why if I'm just sitting in a lecture all day or sitting in a car for a long drive, I wake, I get out and I'm exhausted. I'm spent like I ran a marathon or something. And that mental fatigue is because our neurotransmitters and our lymph system is just so drained. Cortisol, I'm sorry, the, the movement starts to help us move our lymph you know, things that like yoga and things that are related to just stretching can start to change the way our body detoxes and starts to move the fluid around our body. So we just get more, you know, more movement of, of say, red blood cells and oxygen to the brain and to the rest of the body. And so it creates muscle mass. It creates um, adrenaline through heart rates. It raises our norepinephrine. It raises our dopamine, which is a good thing because, it, you know, we need to move. We need to kind of get that sympathetic drive up sometimes to make us more awake. Um, it starts to change our immune system. It, it calms down our immune system. It can help our brain stay sharper. So exercise has been shown to also help with mind-body connection and also thinking ability. But at the end of the day, it's been shown on many studies to help reduce chronic inflammation. It just reduces inflammation in general by um, all the things that we just talked about in terms of transmitters and with the muscle mass and with, with changing of your heart rate and increasing oxygen flow. Um, exercise and movement is just essential for all of us. And so it doesn't mean going to a gym. It could mean stretching, sun salutations after your um, after a Zoom call. It could mean a walk outside. Again, just less is more. Just I, one thing I just leave with people is is just sit less, sit less, move more. Um, it doesn't have to be a membership to the gym, but it does help with all the different aspects of our body. Great, great uh, advice. Um, I'd like to just uh, ask you where can we find out more about your book. And, um, and then we've, you've got your wellness center, rowwellness.com is your website. Body on Fire is available everywhere? Yes, it's, it's available on Amazon and certain um, uh, smaller bookstores, but that um, we can put a link on our website for. But 
mainly on Amazon right now. Um, and yes, Shakti Health and Wellness Center, um, I'm located in, in Mount Airy, Maryland, and Elkridge in Maryland. Um, and Dr. Agarwal is out of Gainesville in Florida. Excellent. Thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you. Great information. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me. You bet. Okay, Dr. Josie Rao. Such amazing information to listen to. Um, everyone out there is, you know, I know you've got a great deal of valuable information for your gut, for your lifestyle, for your health, for your children, for yourself. Uh, definitely show, share this show with, with them, and, and I know it'll change your life for the better. And please subscribe if you haven't already so we can continue to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. And uh, if you need digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people globally through phone and Skype consultations. My contact info is available on my website, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.